Better work presentations are possible. They're called Canva presentations. You can supercharge your work decks with Canva presentations. Sounds like I know what I'm talking about. Just start with a prompt and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides in seconds or with a stunning template and add images, graphics, charts, and data visualizations from their massive media library. You save time and you wow your audience. Mm -hmm. I have never made one of these presentations and I never will, but there's a reason why Canva (laughs) is used by 90% of the Fortune 500 companies. 90%. That's a lot of percent. Yeah, let's get it to 100%, guys. Come on. Nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations by heading to canva.com. Designed for work. From your morning podcast to your afternoon playlist, you know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with the State Farm Personal Price Plan. That's a lot of Bs. Yeah. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. That's important. You want an affordable price. Yeah, I do want one. Yeah, if it's too much, well, that's just not going to happen. No. (laughs) State Farm's on it. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices vary by state. I'm lowering my voice. Mm, Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. Hi, my name is Albert Brooks. And I feel confused that I'm asked to do something I was asked 40 years ago by some disc jockey on KHJ. Dawn in the morning, uh, and I, I guess nothing's ever changed. Nope. So I'm confused about being Conan O'Brien's friend. Oh my God! <laughs> we bought the rights from that disc jockey. Uh, hi, I'm Rob Reiner, and I feel almost honored. Yes. <laughs> Be Conan O'Brien's friend. That's so close (laughs) to being a real, just a real statement from both of you. Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walking blues, climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Yes, I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Hey there. Welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, joined by my two friends. I consider you friends. Oh, that's yeah. nice. No, it took a while. Um, five but, years. Uh, yes. Fifteen. Five. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how, Sona, how long have you been with me? You know, I, I actually just messaged you recently because I found 15 years ago on December 3rd, I found out I got my job because wow. it's my best friend Christina's birthday. And and I, I emailed you. I was she like, emailed me. It was very sweet. And she said it was 15 years ago that she met. She was going to be my brand new assistant because I was moving out to Los Angeles uh, to host a Tonight Show for 40 years. the plan went off without a hitch um but uh (laughs) we had the interview and then i you were told that you were hired and then we met at a coffee shop yeah on san vicente in brentwood i remembered in the meeting that that for some reason you were sitting on a couch that i think was a very low couch and had a soft cushion so people were asking me who'd you end up hiring and i said oh it's this woman sona she seems really bright and I, she's highly recommended and so i hired her and they're like well what's she, what's she like i said she's got dark hair she's really short 
because I just remember thinking you were really short because you sunk into the couch. So then I meet you at this coffee shop and you are tall. Yeah. Pretty tall. I mean, but with uh, your hair was was up. Oh, oh. you had your hair bun up. So made you over eight feet high. And uh, uh, but you came in and I remembered Sona had a notebook and she was writing everything I said down very seriously. And we had a professional exchange. It was nice. For the last Uh. time. (laughs) It was so hilarious. And I will say, I did more to corrupt things immediately than anyone. You did all of it. I did all my Conan shtick. And very quickly, you said, I'm not going to listen to anything this guy says. Nothing serious. He's a fool. But I always go back to that first time. Sona walks in, taller than I had remembered. That's the first thing that struck me. Notebook, writing everything down. And then on her own initiative, because I was moving my whole family uh, out from New York, she made a book for me, like a professional book that she had bound that said, here's what helpful things to know about LA. And it included when it first rains in LA, there's a lot of sediment because it doesn't rain regularly. So drive more carefully. (laughs) Um, The secret menu for in and out. Yeah, no, seriously. No, no, seriously, it was filled. And it was a book that you could have published that you just made on your own. And I remembered uh, thinking, this person is fantastic. And then I immediately corrupted you. Yeah. And it reminds me of on The Simpsons, I didn't write this joke, but someone wrote this joke where, you know, Barney's really smart and he's studying hard for the, you know, LSAT or something. He's just, and then Homer convinces him to have a drink of beer and he has it and he immediately turns into Barney. And he's like, (laughs) and you see, uh, I'm Barney. Uh Well, he's Homer. I realize I infected you with the Conan uh, stupidity. Yeah. And then that was all gone. And then it went from, hey, Sona, you know, when is my car going to be out of my out of the shop? Boo hoo. (laughs) Conan doesn't have his car. Fancy talk show host won't have a way to. No, Sona, I know. I'm just curious when it's going to be out so I know that I don't have to take an Uber. <laughs> well, yeah, I think you're giving me too much credit. I think your kids actually said the most accurate thing, which is you melted half my brain. I said something about Sona and they went, you melted half her brain. And these are little kids. And I said, well, what about the first half? And they went, that was already melted. <laughs> I'm like, I think that is the best description of my relationship with Sona. Now, Gorley came to me more fully formed as a, as a human being. Uh-huh. And I've tried to damage you, uh, but you seem more resistant. Oh, I'm pre-damaged. You're pre-damaged. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think. But I'm you just... seem like you have it together. Oh, very... no, no. Falling apart. Okay. okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You make falling apart look pretty good. Oh, <laughs> You clean up real nice. Yeah. You know? it's, no. it, is, it is funny how uh, these little memories come along and you, you time travel back to, oh, right. Uh, I was an adult who was a, a TV host who was meeting an assistant and we were a professional. Yeah. Seconds before it all went to Cuckoo Town. Right, you got I, in just, just in time. I, I, I want someone to do a deep dive of people before they met you and after they met you and how, how much you ruined them. <laughs> well, you know what's been amazing is my wife. My my wife is uh, just so, Liza is so adept at parrying my madness and, han- you know, handling it. And you know that thing I do where I'm just saying crazy things and Sona will say, what'd you say that for? And I'll say, don't let him bother you. Uh-huh. Meaning I talk about myself in the <laughs> yes. third person. And I manage to get people around me going, what do you mean him? And I go, he's just, and they'll be who? And I'll be like, Conan. Conan's just in one of those, it's just Conan doing his Conan thing. And they're like, no, you're, it's so great because 
I do that around uh, Liza, and she's like, uh-huh. Okay, so anyway. <laughs> yeah. She's completely unfazed. She is not having it. You make all of us unhireable. Yes. And you do, I think you do it on purpose. Like, you I can't, don't, Blake can't work anywhere else. No. No. I've been ruined. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Neither, no, neither, no, it's none true. of us can work anywhere no, else. No, Eduardo. Eduardo uh, could, st- hasn't been ruined yet. Eduardo, I think, could still, and you will, soon work someplace else because i know you have that look of someone who's like i'm out of here but eduardo i haven't ruined you yet right no i don't think so yeah uh, but you are very comfortable giving me tons of shit constantly now i am thanks to sona yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that's my I mean, legacy i think you came in the other day and just uh, immediately attacked me for something i've I can't never remember what it was. flipped off anyone more times no, I'll see, good, I'll see Eduardo like walking down the street and I'll lower my window and go like, Eduardo! And he flips me off. I'm like, wow, that guy hates. <laughs> Don't talk to me in public, asshole. Yeah. I know. <laughs> What's it like to work for someone you're like scared of? I would yeah. never know that. I know. I learned I, that too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, like, no, no one has. Uh, anyone who knows me is immediately unafraid. <laughs> To just to tell me exactly what they think but of I me. But I think it's a, it's not that, it's, <laughs> I don't want to speak for you two, but it's not that you feel like powerful. It's more a defense mechanism of like, I you have to put up your walls with this guy. You mm. have to defend yourself. This guy, point. by the way, is out of control. This yeah. guy is. Well, this guy Conan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I've noticed it too with him. I think he's, I think he's, <laughs> I think he's <laughs> insanely talented. This is madness. No, no, he's insane. <laughs> Look, I'm saying this as a, I've watched him for a while. He's crazy <laughs> off the charts. <laughs> Um, wrap it up, dick face. <laughs> well, probably means Conan. That's the way, but you know what? To match credit, that's how you have to deal with Conan. Because he's, he, he's what? He's what? He's a once in a hundred year talent, but then oh, he man. gets off the rails and this is how he has to be dealt with. So I'm, what you guys are doing is perfect. Uh, so I would anyway. say you are a once in a hundred year something. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Like a tsunami. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> a natural disaster. All right, I'm back to being me again. <laughs> just destroys Hey, Conan, lives. I just showed up. That other oh, guy just left. Oh, Conan's yeah, back. Yeah, Okay. Hey, I am very excited. I don't know what that other guy thinks. Yeah. I am thrilled, absolutely thrilled. This is a very special podcast mm-hmm. today. Seriously. Uh, it really is. My guests today have been friends for almost 60 years. One is the filmmaker behind such classics as When Harry Met Sally, and this is Spinal Tap. The other is a comedy legend who starred in films like Modern Love and Broadcast News. Now they have a new documentary streaming on Max. And it is, it's a must. You must watch this. I have watched it, I think now three times. I love it. It's titled Albert Brooks Defending My Life. I am honored. That word doesn't even do it justice. Uh, I'm beside myself that they are here today. Rob Reiner, Albert Brooks, welcome. There's no way around this, so I'll get it out of the way. Uh, uh, I've done, how many of these have I done, Adam? 520, how many? It's a big day for me. I'm totally uh, in love with both of you guys and your incredible body of work. And so the fact that you're here talking to me is a huge deal. And that's pretty much all the time we have. <laughs> I think we should wrap it up there. Because there's uh, these are two men that don't want to be complimented, especially uh, especially Albert. I have a hard time with that's it. That's Barry Sanders. I want to be complimented. You want to be? <laughs> <laughs> You're incredible, Albert. What can I say? Um, you know, I uh, think the same, Albert. Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. I have to say, uh, um, there's a lot to talk about here. I wanted to start because it just happened. We just lost uh, Norman Lear. Mm. I know you guys both knew this man very well. And for you, 
uh, Rob, he was like a second dad. He, he was. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm very lucky that I had two role models in my life that I, uh, I could look up to and I, I learned from. I mean, I met Norman when I was a little kid mm -hmm. and he, uh, you know, he tells a story. I don't remember it, but he tells me that I was playing with his daughter who was eight years old. We were both eight and we were playing jacks mm -hmm. and I was teaching her how to play giving her the rules to jacks and apparently I was doing it in a funny way. I didn't know and he told my father, he said, you know, your kid is really funny yes. and and my dad said really uh that sullen child of mine <laughs> he can't be that funny so norman was the first guy to recognize can i say how yeah. times have changed yeah. because that's how long ago it was that the thing was oh, your kid is so funny playing jacks today nothing said about a kid with a little girl is ever good <laughs> <laughs> But wait a minute, wait a minute. If you call your dad... It's a very creepy yeah. comment. Yeah, yeah but Albert, we were both eight. I wasn't matter. like 24 matter. and she was eight. You were, you were advanced for your age. <laughs> and your line for much of your adult life is, yeah. do you want to play okay. Jack? As right. my uncle your used to say, you're old enough to be canceled. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, Norman was, was he 101? 101, yeah. And Absolutely one. unbelievable. And of course, your father, Carl, lived- 98, 98. 98, yeah. And I was at some event, and uh, this is maybe two years ago, and Norman was talking, and he talked about this longevity thing with comedians. And he said, I swear to God, people always ask us, it's something about laughing all the yes. time. He said- it, it, Well, it, wait it, a minute. It, yeah. Henry Kissinger? Yeah, he was very funny. He was very funny. Very funny. Very funny. He I laughed saw, every day. I yeah. saw him once at the improv. <laughs> and how did he do? He did that same Vietnam bit. Yeah. <laughs> did he get any laughs? I told them the pueblo was real. They didn't believe. Really laugh, laugh. And no, then he, but then he did, did audience work. Have you? Yes, I was going to say his crowd work was spectacular. Where, where uh, are you from? But, <laughs> where are you from? <laughs> You called out the sweater. You have uh, papers. <laughs> <laughs> so the point is, yeah, if you laugh laughter, every yeah. day, you live a very long time. I well, guess that's the, maybe, no, 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 maybe. maybe. I don't yeah. know. And, and also, we, you have to think of people genes. we know, contemporaries that are yeah. no longer with us that laughed. I, yeah. I don't think it's any of that. Right. I think it's lucky. Yeah. Okay. Well, I tried to say a sweet, positive thing. Yeah. And, 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 <laughs> and, uh, and Albert took Albert, me out at the knees. Albert put a damper on it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel good now. Um, <laughs> I uh, I absolutely loved the documentary, oh, Albert thanks. Brooks Defending My Life, uh, and thought it was beautifully done. And what was great was this has been long overdue because uh, your body of work, Albert, is insanely rich and ingenious and inspiring for generations of comedians but it took a friend because you guys knew each other you met in high school right we you met, met in, in high school. school yes and i you know we've known each other for 60 years and i always wanted to do this when uh, you remember the film uh, my dinner with andre yeah, when yeah. it came out at that point i said to albert come on we'll go to a deli we'll sit down it'll be my lunch with albert and we'll do it and he never wanted to do it at that point but then at a certain point i don't know what made you change your mind but we decided to do it and that became the center piece of the of the documentary the two of us just sitting in a restaurant and talking someone uh, came to me before rob with the idea of doing a documentary and it didn't uh, it didn't work out but then the idea see, was like 
the idea but to do it is good. So then I was having dinner with Rob and, uh, you know, are you? do you ever want to do my lunch with Albert? And I said, well, what if we combine this? We do yeah. that and then we also broaden it out and do clips and talk to people. Well, the absolute rocket fuel are the, the bits. And yeah. because the comedic bits that you were doing... They were not, they're evergreen. They so really, they they really are. are. Every single uh, sketch bit that you've done, whether it was on The Tonight Show or The Flip Wilson Show or The Johnny Cash Show, or I mean, there are people who had shows. I you can't believe it. who had a show. <laughs> yeah. and everybody had a show. Everybody you, Conan O'Brien. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even Conan O'Brien had a show. Yeah. Unbelievable. And you everybody, said it, there, you everybody said it Conan. You said it in the documentary yeah. that it was like he broke the sound barrier. It was like Chuck Yeager. Yes. And they found a new way of, of presenting comedy. And Albert was... Well, that's been misinterpreted. What I was saying is Albert's <laughs> yeah. as funny as Chuck Yeager. Uh, <laughs> And then yeah. people took it this other way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And who was funnier, Kissinger or Chuck Yeager? <laughs> I would say Yeager. That's not the fair thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you did a kind of, uh, there was a kind of comedy that oh, you started. I, I, I made up a joke the other day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Neil Armstrong was at a party and mm -hmm. told these people a joke and no one laughed. He told a joke about the moon and no one laughed. And he said, well, I guess you had to be there. <laughs> <laughs> I was with you. I love this moment. First time I met Albert was at this event and I'd never met him before. And I was, and this, I'll, I'll back up just a second because I was so relieved. You said something in the documentary, Rob, that resonated with me, which is, I think I've met everybody, just about everybody. And I'm never intimidated. I was intimidated to meet Albert. I was worried about it. I thought we're probably going to bump into each other at some point, and I felt a little queasy about it. And, and then you say in the documentary that you always were intimidated uh, by by Albert. Well, I, it, it's not just intimidated. I, you, you just where is this coming from? This mind you never. I've never met anybody that has a mind that works that way, and other comics. You know, established comics. Larry David yeah. in the documentary says the same thing that he was, you know, so happy when Albert gave him approval to a joke he said or something like that. You have to understand, I mean, I, in the circles I was with, I don't care who they were. It was Robin Williams, Billy yeah. Crenson. I don't care who were in the, when we got together and people started spritzing, when Albert started, when Albert went, it was like, you know, challenge dance when everybody's challenging. When Albert started, everybody backed off. Yeah. Everybody backed off because they knew that, you know, here comes the guy. Here's Babe Ruth ste stepping into the cage. And, and I always thought it was a cool thing. And then when I got married, my wife said, it's because you never shower. <laughs> okay. You think that's why they backed off? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I remember. Thought you had good personal. You know, IG. it was so funny because Albert was the first time I, I met you. You won't remember this, but it was someone's house. We're standing by a, a pool. You told me a story that was really funny, and I laughed, legitimately laughed. It was a very funny story. And you had some friend with you who I didn't know, and the friend just kind of shrugged and said, "Well, I guess he had to be there." And you turned on your friend and went, 
No, no, he laughed. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, you didn't have to be there. Yeah, right. And I was, I was in the moment watching. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I Albert... remember. I said, "Don't you understand that expression?" Yeah, that's yeah. when nobody laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> if somebody laughs, you don't have to be anywhere. You don't have to be anywhere. You are. A stupid man. Uh, I don't know who it was, but uh, forever in my mind, I I cherish that moment. But Albert, Albert, you know, we talked about this in the documentary albert would go on national television live television without ever trying out the bit he was yes. going to do yes that to me is talk about working without a net i mean this is in the case annette funicello which was <laughs> what would make anybody uh, good uh -huh. but no but but no he <laughs> no but but, That's bordering but, on you had to be there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he had to know that reference. Um, no, no, but he he would do this, and you know we shared a house together, and 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 you know I don't remember it exactly, but he did the first time he did the mind piece. I don't think it worked. Did it work the first time you did it? Well, the very first time, I don't think it worked. It was the Steve yeah. Allen show. Yeah, and it worked. So nobody point, knew anybody. The but, point is, you know, he I came out. He me. was doing a mime. And he came out in the white face and the oh, leotards, mm -hmm. and he never stopped talking. It's so funny. And so <laughs> it's a brilliant piece, and it didn't play the way it should have. And then time goes by, and I think you were called to do The Tonight Show something, or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I said, Albert, what are you going to do on the show tonight? He says, I'm going to do the mime piece. <laughs> and I said, yeah, but it didn't get, it didn't do well. He says, yeah, but it's funny. Yeah. I said, I know it's funny, but it didn't get the kind. He says, yeah, but it's funny. And that's the thing that I learned about Albert, which is it is funny. You just the audience has to catch up to it. They just have to know it. And Johnny Carson was hosting and he came out and the same kind of thing where they were a little bit hesitant. They didn't know. Johnny went. Yeah. And I was there. Johnny literally fell off his chair and the audience said, I see. Yes, I get what this a lot is. Of, a lot of times. In my experience, if if the audience is looking at the host and they want permission and that they need they need permission, then they know everything's okay. Yeah. yeah. And so um that bit come out and you're talking and you're describing I am now walking against the wind, I'm doing it, but then you just it just goes into stand-up comedy yeah. as a mime about my wife and you know uh I, she said she lost 30 pounds and i said look behind you you'll find it and <laughs> and it, you're in total mime makeup yeah, and yeah, you're doing yeah, it yeah. and and the thing is that uh that i think when i when i talked in the doc about breaking the sound barrier to me it's about the level of commitment and it's why i think it was no surprise that you turned out to be of such an excellent actor when you were doing these pieces, I think there was a time in show business where you needed to let everybody know, I'm in show business. These are jokes. Let's have a good time. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And what you were doing was this like De Niro-like commitment that you made it okay for everybody to, to sort of yeah. work. I mean, and, you know, with respect to people, the audience is the last to know anything. They're, they're, you don't, I never understood the idea of doing it for an audience mm -hmm. because the audience doesn't know anything until they see it. So if you do anything they haven't seen before, you don't get immediately rewarded. Like when you're previewing a movie with cards, the movies that get 100 are the movies they've seen every other weekend. Right, they're familiar. So they're they're familiar. Yeah. Unfamiliar doesn't get a good grade. Yeah. But it. what do you do? You just never do it? 
Yeah, well, I but mean, you know, it's, it's the it's same. Right. It's the same if we go into a restaurant and it's a fine restaurant and we're served a dish. We don't know anything about this. We take the we take the word of the, of the person who owns the restaurant and we taste something we've never tasted. And if if the world didn't have that possibility, and by the way, I think show business is that's the holy grail is no risk. Yeah. And yeah. and I think as algorithms get mature and as more executives get parking spots, <laughs> the 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 risk is less and less yeah. because it's a business. Why do you want to take a risk? I mean, I learned from Albert, you know, when I saw how committed he was to doing that bit, even though it had when we first uh, screened Spinal Tap, which, you know, Albert had done real life before that, but this was the first kind of about rock and roll and yeah, it was a yeah. mock documentary and and we previewed it in Dallas and people came up to me afterwards and they said, I, I don't understand. Why would you make a movie about a band that nobody's ever heard of <laughs> and one that's so bad? And I, so it's like, yeah, they didn't know what we were doing. It took them a while to figure out that this, we're making fun of this, you know, and, and I, I learned from Albert, you got to stick to your guns and, and hopefully people, the audience will catch up. They'll like the dish that they, that they well, were served. I think what I learned in the doc was that I talk about, I mean, I think there was a Barbara Mandrell show. If you had one hit single, they suddenly gave you a variety show and, and it feels <laughs> Albert, like you did. There all, probably was a you, you, I mean. That was the circuit. It was That's the circuit. What and so what you did is you did all of these shows and the bits are fantastic. And you're, you know, bit after bit after bit, you're a, you're an elephant tamer that comes out, but you announce to the crowd, I'm an elephant tamer. I have all these tricks into the elephant. The elephant got sick. Just, I'm going to use a frog, but just it's the same <laughs> tricks. And it's such a beautiful, I mean, you're laughing at hearing the idea, but then the execution is absolutely fantastic. You're doing these bits on these shows long before you get to Johnny. And I think one of the keys in, in show business uh, it, that's harder to find these days is there were places to work things out. You were doing it on television, yeah. but before you got to the Holy Grail, which was Carson. Right. And if you do Johnny Carson, as you say in the doc, the next day... Anywhere you went, you talk about going to the dry cleaner the next day. Hey, great bit. Everybody had seen it. and Right. But I was fortunate because I didn't get to that show with that. I right. got to the show in his mind as established. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. there wasn't. And I didn't even want to do that. I begged my agent to get on to Dick Cavett because mm -hmm. he was the thing. He was right. the John Lennon was on there. Yeah. And they didn't Groucho. want me. So I went to Johnny Carson by default. And what a great default it was because nobody watched a Cavett. You know, I mean, right. a couple of college kids, but Johnny Carson was like a, a pathway to another universe. No, it's it the was, equivalent of being today the closest thing you can think of. Johnny Carson on a Tuesday night, uh, today the only thing that comes close is maybe the Super Bowl. That, that's how many people are tuning in. You've yeah. got maybe half the country watching yeah. because he had a monopoly. Well, it was a Super Bowl for people you knew because yeah. I, I did Ed Sullivan and that, you know, on paper, they said that was 50 million people, but it wasn't people I saw in Los Angeles. Now, if you go to St. Louis, that's where hey, Ed Sullivan they do watch, but it wasn't the group, it wasn't the market I went to or the dry cleaner or my day, but the Carson show, everywhere you went, the gas station, 
Hey, saw you, Johnny. You know, that's that's what that got, at least where you live. You just didn't go to places where Ed Sullivan Well, went. I couldn't travel. <laughs> I had to where travel. Where did Ed Sullivan go? I, I always, I, I, uh, there, I've always had an adage, if you have to travel more than 2,000 miles to get a compliment, don't do it. <laughs> that's a, that's I like that good... yours is 2,000. Mine is 4,000. Okay. I, I, I have a wider circle because I'm, I'm good, hungrier. Good rule I'm hungrier of thumb, though. Good rule of thumb. <laughs> I went to Oahu once after that Hawaiian bit I did just to walk around. But (laughs) Did you get people saying? Not one. (laughs) Not one. So now, where else can you go surfing and skiing the same day, huh? I don't know. Or check out a world-class art museum and then camp at a dark sky sanctuary that night, huh? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, where else can you hike through Redwoods and then get a luxury spa treatment? Where? Well, you live there, California. <laughs> California, Sona. No matter where California. you go across the state, you'll find a way to play. I'm a California resident. So, are you. Sona, you are a lifelong California resident. I'm a lifer. I love this place. This is a beautiful state. Gorgeous. So many different, wonderful ecosystems in one state. You can hang out by a Palm Springs pool. You know, you can go whale watching, you can go hiking in Yosemite, and then uh, talk about the great cities in California. You get all this amazing food, sushi, whatever you want, they got it in California. Hey, if you can't find it in California, man, you got a problem. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. I made that up on my own. Anyway, I love California. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. I got to say, everywhere I go, people are talking about Monopoly Go. And oh. for good reason. It's an absolute hit. Yeah. I love Monopoly. People love Monopoly. And look, Monopoly's been around for a very long time. It's one of the oldest board games ever. Okay? Okay. But lately, I walk around and I just hear like, Monopoly Go, Monopoly Go, Monopoly Go. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? What are you guys talking about? And they say, we're playing Monopoly Go. You can play it with your family, your friends. It's a straight delight. There's always something new to do partner events where you can build on each other's boards and crazy tournaments with team events you can recruit your friends for, or you can just compete to outdo them all on the leaderboards. Mm. And when you're not messing with your family and friends, Monopoly Go is always throwing new stuff at you. They have taken Monopoly to the next level. I didn't think Monopoly had to go to the next level, but they did. (laughs) (laughs) There's timed events like massive multipliers for all your winnings and challenges like treasure hunts or money sprees that have fun new mini games. Plus, with tons of rewards to collect, like stickers for trading with friends and hilarious emojis that are perfect for gloating, there's always a reason to dip back in. Yeah. Man, they cracked it, you know? They did. So join the fun. Download Monopoly Go now free on the App Store and Google Play. Everybody Needs a Friend is sponsored by ADT, introducing ADT Self Setup, featuring everything from motion sensors to Google Nest Cam and the Nest Doorbell with a battery or wired option. Your choice. Easily install the ADT Self Setup security system at your convenience. You don't need heavy-duty tools. And if you do need help, ADT can provide virtual assistance along the way. Self Setup from ADT grows, moves, and adapts as your needs change. You can add more products at any time, and your system easily moves wherever life takes you. It also features Nest Cams, 
that can tell the difference between a person, an animal, a vehicle, or with the Nest doorbell, even a package. These things are getting so smart. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. You can view video of an alarm event and verify or cancel an alarm with just one quick tap. Now everyone can get trusted security from ADT installed your way with no long-term contracts. When the most trusted name in home security as the intelligence of Google, well, <laughs> you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Google, Nest Cam, Nest Doorbell, and Nest Aware are all trademarks of Google LLC. You know, it's interesting, uh, Rob, you got this taste with All in the Family. How old were you? Is it 1970? 71. I was 23. You're 23. Yeah. And that's a show that everybody in the country starts watching. I mean, it was, I remember in our family. That everybody. Was, that's what you did. Yeah. You watched All in the Family. Yeah. And by the way, we were a country of 200 million people at that time. And we had 40, 45 million people watching every week. And they couldn't TiVo or DVR. You, you had, you to, had watch to be it. there. You, you had, had to, to watch, watch it, it when it was on. So yeah. you had a, a shared experience by 40, 50 million people watching this every week. And that's what a big successful sitcom was. You had to get those. You know, those are extraordinary numbers. But if you didn't get 30 million, right. you didn't stay on. Well, it's hilarious now to look at the ratings. It kept eroding, it kept eroding over time. <laughs> no, but it's serious. It's, it's, it's kept eroding over time. But I you, sit you, back. I have a drink and laugh <laughs> yeah. at 1.1. 1. 1. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, seriously, if like you if you a, get a million people to get, watch. Yeah, yeah. It's, like that monster hit is 5 to 10 million people and they're not all watching at the same no, time that's right. with that yeah nielsen had to come up with those things or they were going to go out of business those after things you yeah. know you can't we're not going to pay you to tell us seven hundred thousand people watched okay okay well look seven and then another two hundred thousand watched on their watch the next day <laughs> all right all right and all right 200,000 saw it in their suit. 40,000 people heard it. Okay. Add that. And 10,000 people told someone else. Not enough. All right. All right. right. We'll come up with and another thing. And you can't thing. talk to anybody about a show that you've seen. That's the because problem. Because they always say, I didn't see that app. I'm only on Don't season say. one. Don't tell me. Don't, Don't tell me. So you can't ever have a discussion. That we really had to talk. Is true. Everybody the water talk. cooler is gone. Yeah. yeah. But I remember how much of my life, my childhood was seeing you know you on all in the family and how that was a cultural event um you being on johnny or your films on snl you talked about it you know it would happen yes. on a it would happen and then you'd you'd all talk about it my friends who were into comedy and i would yeah. talk about it in brookline mass well think about think about this talk about appointment television saturday night live when it first came on you, you, that's a saturday night that and you you had to watch it when it was on mm -hmm. and it was you know it was on 11:30 and 11:30 in and on the west coast kids young people in parties would yeah. stop whatever they were doing and watch saturday night and yeah. that that you know also i think we have to bring this up because it's in the doc and it's something i did not know which is that you were approached by Lorne and, and and dick ebersol dick ebersol wonderful wonderful man uh <laughs> Yeah, you have, you you have a great love for him, don't you? You know, I know uh, about his knowledge that. of comedy is stunning. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, anyway, um, what a we digress. he's on the Rushmore. He's on the he's on Mount Rushmore. Um, but anyway, uh, those guys approached you about 
building SNL around you. And yeah, you said, they, I think, and that's, and, and you said, I think that's a mistake. Well, I, here's the thing. I, you know, it's 50 years ago and I'm, maybe Lauren has another memory of it, mm -hmm. but it wasn't that complicated. Uh, in the fall of 74, I went to a meeting and they, they said, cause it, that was Johnny Carson's rerun night. Mm -hmm. And they said, we're going to stop doing that. We're going to put an original show. We want to do it live from New York and we'd like it to be Albert Brooks show. You, you would be the host. Now I had flirted with television twice before and thank God the way with the life works. I didn't do it. Uh, one about two and a half years earlier, I got offered my own summer show on CBS, six shows. And I mean, it was going to be the Albert Brooks show. What, what, what kind of show will it be? I was, you know, really starting to think there were offices, we got offices. And then I was asked to Carol Burnett, who was the big CBS star, was Huge, honored, yeah. and I was asked to perform at the event, and I didn't have a lot of stuff. I had bits that I did from the road, one of which was on my album, Comedy Minus One, not mm -hmm. to be confused with Godzilla Minus One. <laughs> Somebody said, is that where you play part of a monster? I said, I don't, I don't have any. Yeah. But so I performed that, and I did this bit that I did on my record, where if you're a comedian and you're performing in the South and you're bombing, then you have that fail-safe, you dig deep, and you come out, and you pronounce it clearly, and you somehow get out the word shit. And that <laughs> turns everything around. They laugh for this 20 minutes. Yeah. I said, people run out, they build a statue in the park. <laughs> you know. And so basically it was shit saved my life. So the next day I get a call and William Paley called my agency and said, this foul mouth young man will not appear on my network. Yeah, wow. So then, I didn't do that. Yeah. So, and then earlier on, I was going to do a sitcom that I backed out of in a meeting where that was already a go. Aaron Spelling was producing it. It was a whole season approved. And Michael Eisner, the last question said, well, let me ask Albert, though, what do you see for this character in five years? And I said, suicide. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, I stood up and I said, I'm not ready. This is not going to work. And I left and the agents follow me into the elevator and one of them said, you should wait, you should wait. And the other said, I don't think it's a good, he should do it. And, and, so after those two, I was done with television. I yeah. wanted to make movies. So A, I wasn't going to do the Albert Brooks show, but I also thought that they were talking to somebody from Los Angeles. And when they said we're doing a live show at 1130 in New York, to me, live meant nothing. There it was no live. I didn't see anything that I wasn't supposed to see. If somebody in New York said a swear word, it was you mean like shit. Yeah, <laughs> it was cut out long before I saw it. So I had a couple of thoughts. I said, well, wouldn't it make more sense? I mean, the Tonight Show, in essence, is live. They never stop. What if you did one at 4:30 and one at 7:30 and put the best together to air? But 
they wanted live and obviously it worked. It was a, mm-hmm. it, you know, but I knew that I would be John Belushi. I'd be on eight grams of Coke. I, I'm not good starting at 1130. It's why I hated the road. Yeah. I never got that third show at midnight. It just yeah. didn't make sense to me. It was too late, too, too much. And, and I, said, you know, every show has the same host. You should use different hosts each week. So they said, okay, well, thanks for coming in. Then four months went by. They hadn't done anything yet. They came back to me. We want you associated with the show. What do you want to do? I said, I want to do short films. So I made an agreement to do it. I did them here. And for that, in the spring of 75, Lorne and I did the National Junket. Mm -hmm. In those days... They would take the Sheridan Universal and every reporter would have a different room and they'd set up the room so they could pretend you came to them. Yes. So you'd walk into a room, there'd be this fake palm tree. Albert Brooks, (laughs) welcome to Fort Lauderdale. Thank you. Wow, it's sweaty out there. You know, they they loved if you played along. Sure, yeah. And it was the same interview. So you're going to make short films for a new show. I am. What's the show about? I don't really know. Here's the producer, Ask Lorne. And he didn't know at that moment. Mm -hmm. What's the show about? Well, we're going to have the new kind of comedy and it's going to be new and that. So then from that point, Lorne got his primetime players and he built this show that has been the longest running show in television. So obviously he did it perfectly, but that's the way it went down. I love the the, the short film that I remember. And I'm a most believe that God is in the details. You know, I just love the little things. And, and devil is in the and details. And the devil's in the details. They're both in the details. Yeah. How does yeah. that work? I wish you hadn't brought that up. Um, <laughs> But uh, the uh, the school where they teach you uh, comedy. The, well, the that short... was not for Saturday that Night. That wasn't for SNL? No, that was the first thing. That was for a show called The Great American oh, there Dream you go. Machine. Okay. Yeah. I just remember. That was, that was a, I, I had written an article for Esquire called yes. Albert Brooks' Famous School for Comedians. And Which we, many people took seriously. Many. Um, 2,000. <laughs> How many people applied? 2,000 tests they got. Really? They took these tests, but one of my favorite we things We had is... pictures of a fake school. It was like those famous artist schools. <laughs> and then we had if a you two, can draw this pirate. Yeah, a two-page nice. comedy talent. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. there's a short. Via Don Rickles. That, that woman. That woman wearing that mink over there looks like a bear, squirrel. Yeah, yeah. Gentile. You know. And yeah, then yeah, you yeah. had to check the box. You know. Well, there's a. You're, it's you walking down the hall <laughs> and saying there's a different class going on in each room, and then you, you say in this class we're going to look at. Uh, students are learning the spit take. Now, you remember when Danny uh, Thomas yeah. on his show would do his, someone would, his agent would give him bad news and he'd spit his coffee out. Well, here they're learning the famous spit take. Let's see how it's going. You open the door and what I love, it's a, it's a, it's maybe 30 students in a horseshoe shape around and there's a teacher talking. The floor is covered <laughs> with <laughs> spit and coffee. And, and I always, I, as a kid, I remembered seeing that and howling. Yeah. Like, I know what's coming. Yeah. And and it was this wonderful thing that many people think comedy is not knowing what's coming. No, there's a beautiful kind of comedy where you're told yeah. you open the door, and there's <laughs> coffee everywhere, yeah. Yeah, and then they the... do it. And no, no, Lucille, you yeah. dribbled. That's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't, not, not enough of a spray. Yeah. And then there was a class, and many times when comedians make it big, they give back to society. Here in this class, students are choosing which disease to work for. In, in, in case they make it big. 
<laughs> and one student is going, eh, what about eczema? He says, no, that, 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 that's he not going to work. Yeah, he says, yeah. I, I, well, another student, I thought it was cured. No, it's not. No, you know, just, <laughs> picking the three diseases left. The, uh, but anyway, that was, I did that about three years before Saturday I night, okay. but that got my taste for. I remember the whole seeing that and loving it. Thing. And then, yeah. um, uh, loving that with the short films and then the movies, you're treated as if you have a sense of humor, you're going to find out where the comedy is. And I think one of the things that it really held true for, for, for Spinal Tap, it was so true to a real documentary yeah. Yeah. that, you know, long before now, mockumentary as a whole channel, right, pro probably right, in streaming. Right. This was before that, yeah, really that happened. And and of course you did it in uh, real life. In real yeah. life. And it's, <laughs> it's up to you to decide as an yeah, intelligent person yeah. where the comedy is. Yeah, I mean- I, Which I, is I, a change, which was a change at the time. Yeah. Because it's, look, comedy is still a second class in, in the world. Mm -hmm. It's why they say at the Oscars, you know, should there be a category for comedy acting? Like, it's the stupidest thing I ever heard. Mm -hmm. But somehow, in it was like an acting school. If a student could cry, which is only a chemical thing, it has nothing to do with emotions. If you're a person who's tear ducts are such that you keep your eyes open and you can start to produce, you'd get an A because people think that that's good acting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, scenes, dramatic scenes where people yelled, that was good acting. And that's sort of the way the whole world thinks. And drama is considered the serious part of it. And comedies like, and it's the same as what you're saying, because most comedies would let you know it's a comedy. Right, yeah. You know, it's like, you know, either even with the logo, <laughs> You know, yeah. the zany thing yeah. or the kooky music. They had they, for they wanted to let the audience know. Well, also for the Spinal trick. Tap, they, they wanted to release it. Remember Airplane was a, yeah. a you know big, big hit comedy. Right. And we came in after that. And they said, well, we're going to do, a, you know, instead of the twisted plane, we're going to have a twisted guitar. And that's yeah. going to be Spinal I said, All right, that's, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that could have saved it. But, but, you know, you're saying it's very close to the bone. That's what you would do. And it's very close to real. I hired a DP who had done a lot of rock and roll documentaries, who had shot them. Mm -hmm. And it, as we're shooting it, he says, I don't understand what's funny about this. This is the, what they do. This is the, the real thing. You, there's nothing funny here. And I said, yeah, no, but we're twisting it a little bit. You don't, you know. But also, the, uh, I think you both have done this masterfully, but the awkward silences. And I, I brought up De Niro before, but De Niro and Raging Bull, his, and, and he's played this character so many times, but someone who notices something and then kind of can't let it go. Yeah, well, De Niro's always like that. I mean, once you say you're talking to me, if nobody answers, you shouldn't keep asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, he, he had take... his answer. Yes. yes. No. no. No one was talking yeah. to you. But he won't but take he no for an answer. Take no. But I love that. I, I love that so many times I see, and I, I it, it's in all your work, but in uh, defending your life, there's so many times where you just you you can't let things go. You want to know. You want to know more. You're... But that's Albert. Yeah, Albert. and that's and that is Al you. That that's is you Albert. coming out. That is Albert. No. He doesn't let anything go. Well, uh, you know, he still has. I'm not going to do that show. No. I don't know what the joke is, but if you think you shouldn't do it, don't. <laughs> <laughs> that instinct is usually but correct. But you know, you were talking about The Tonight Show. I don't know. I never got a straight answer, but there was like four years that I was on that are gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And 
I never repeated a bit ever. So I think of some of those bits. I did a bit once that was I loved so much and I was hoping, but it was in those years that were gone. You know what happened though, right? It's a famous. Well, uh, is it's, I heard two stories, a fire or they taped no, over. No, it's, I mean, a fire would be somewhat They excusable. taped over? What happened was someone, which bit was it? I want to know. I'm going to tell you, but yeah. what happened? But, but um, Albert's directing now. Um, <laughs> uh, this, is this is this one of those awkward silences? That no, you're no, 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 no. It, <laughs> it's becoming it. Did, <laughs> look, we're letting the tension build. <laughs> yeah. But you commented on it. Okay, then I broke uh, the silence. Did they tape over? Um, I was going to get to it in my own time and in my own way. But now I feel rushed and rattled and rightly intimidated okay. by Albert Brooks, as I knew I would be. Um, uh, let's go no, to they, the, let's they, go to the Sinatra. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, apparently all the tapes were preserved. They were in a warehouse. It was in like New Jersey and a bean counter said, we've got all these tapes. Uh, hey, what's this for here? And they're like, that's storage. Those are all the old Tonight Shows from 63 to 76. 76. Those are all of the Tonight Shows. Why are, uh, are the tapes still good? Yeah, the tapes are good. Well, erase them. Let's reuse them. So one person, now I talked to Rick Ludwin, who worked on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show, and he said, it wasn't Rick, but he said, I would, I know there was a guy who had to go to Johnny and say, all your work oh. from 1960, like you're in it, you, you, you trading quips with Groucho, you uh, with your idol, Jack Benny, you with all these, it's all gone so that they could put some I Dream of Genies on a on a tape. <laughs> yeah. And um, that's a funny reference, Sonny. You'll enjoy it later. Oh, okay. uh, look but it up. I'll enjoy it, it later. I'll Google. think about it. You'll think about it. Laughing. Google it. Okay. But, um, Not much later. There's yeah. a, there's a, <laughs> there, there was a clip. There was a clip. That, there was it's a all clip, gone. There was well, a clip I don't think it was were... 63. I mean, no, no. I, but, but I'll tell you this. Intermittently, you mean. In, like... No, but you know what I'll tell you? I will tell you that the clips that tended to survive were ones that Johnny... If it's like the Ed Ames yeah. or something like that, he would say, "Oh my, get me one of those so I can show it to people at the house." Now, when you say I, the Ed Ames, does your audience know? Of course not. They know what the I'm Ed talking. Ames? I'm talking down to my audience now. I'm above <laughs> them on a cloud, and they're in the mud. Oh. Um, if you don't know Ed Ames, <laughs> no, it's a famous tomahawk throw, and if, from, I think it's from he hit his cock. and he uh, hit the crotch. <laughs> Yeah, and of it the made dummy, it looked like a penis, and it looked like a penis with an erection, and uh, and Johnny's dying laughing, and I think he calls it Frontier Briss, yeah. a huge laugh. <laughs> yeah. You can tell it was an accident, and it was the original viral moment. Right. That My existed. biggest fear in all of the universe is that I die, and there is a heaven, and God says to me, "I can see your cock." <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but why you specifically? Why is you know? Uh, you, I don't care. But anyway, I did this one bit that was really great. Remember the, the Ed Sullivan plates where oh, you yeah. used to yeah, yeah, yeah. spin the, yeah. you had to get all the plates at one time spinning. So I brought out five people and I said to the audience, I'm going to attempt something that's never been done. I'm going to start and I'm going to make this gentleman laugh and I'm going to go down. And if it happens correctly, at the end, all five will be laughing together. And so I started and there was music. Bum, 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 bum. But he and was talking to their ears. You didn't hear what I said. I would talk to them. And it was only a specific joke yeah, for and them. And the first guy would go, <laughs> <laughs> and I'd go to the next guy, and then the first guy would start to go, oh, and I'd run back and say something. <laughs> but he would go up again. And, uh, it's a great bit. We couldn't find it. It didn't and look the, the, other It's thing, erased. The other thing we couldn't find is 
my father went on the Tonight Show and actually said that Albert Brooks was the funniest. He said person. Albert Einstein. Albert yeah. Einstein yeah. at the time. He was Your Albert, real name, was Albert the, Einstein. Was the funniest person he knew. Johnny we, said, who's, and, who do you like these when days? When I was 16. When you were 16 years old, yeah. you get name checked by Johnny on the Tonight Show. And we what couldn't a, find that clip either. What yeah. a thrill. This I have to bring up, which is the similarities. You're, you're good friends. You've been good friends uh, since high school. And there are some similarities, uh, both your fathers uh, in the business. You lost your father at, a, at an early age. Uh, in a, it's, a, it's a very sad story. Um, he died performing at a Friars Club yeah. roast on stage. Mm-hmm. Park your carcass. And uh, um, you, that was a loss that clearly had a huge effect on you. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. He your says f- something in, in the documentary that, that I didn't know. And when I heard it, I, I couldn't believe it. He said that when he was a kid, he used to go to sleep with the radio on. And his mother would come in while he was sleeping and turn it off at night. And one morning he woke up and the radio was still on. It was like three in the morning. Three in the morning he woke up and he said he knew at that point that his father had died. Because your father had been sickly. Yeah, but he was sick my whole life. You know, he he was healthier from my brothers. But by the time I was born, it it was not good. And he had trouble walking. So for my life... He was ill, always ill. So I was always worried about it. So it wasn't like a premonition. I thought this was happening every day. I had heard about it. And then you and I got to have a dinner once and you told me the the story and it's absolutely unbelievable. He was uh, on the Friars Club dais and it's 1958 and he destroys. I mean, absolutely destroys. And he's the hit of the night. You can listen to it. Yes, I've listened to it. And then he goes back and he sits down at, at his seat and passes away and yep. it's weird because it's the thing that comedians talk about sometimes yeah. almost in a wistful way like I'd love to kill in front of a crowd and then just quickly go and what I'm always amazed at is that he finished you know he finishes it bit, could happen yeah. on the way up to the mic it could happen during but he finished mm-hmm. so that's the coolest part and, and then, then they the try ins- to save the evening the insane part that, that you they yeah. send it your your father they're working on him backstage they, backstage Milton Berle says to a singer at the time, Tony Martin, go up there and sing. Number one hit in America. And he says, sing, sing. And Milton Berle didn't know what the song was. He says, go sing your hit, go sing your hit. Tony Martin stands up and he sang, and his hit was called, There's No Tomorrow. Oh, Jesus. Oh, fuck. There's no tomorrow. While they're working on your dad yeah. in the back. Oh, my God. Um, oh, God. Good God. And, and, and now your father, of course, uh, lived uh, a wonderful, I think, uh, 170 yeah. years. Yeah. Uh, and 98, yeah. <laughs> I got to know him. He was such a beautiful man, such a lovely man, so great, encouraging great man. and uh, absolutely lovely. The first time he came on my late night show, he came out and he said... This is my first time on the show, so I'm going to mark my territory. So he walked around to the back of the show, miming, peeing it. But I don't think my crowd knew what mark your territory meant. And he sat down and it had gotten nothing. And he went, well, that completely didn't work. And that was my favorite part. My favorite part was him just saying... That come, you know, because yeah. any bit where you have to get yeah, up, yeah. leave the. There's uh, the perfect example. Yeah. Was Carl walking around mocking peeing great, or the fact that your audience didn't like it was it shitty or didn't yeah. understand yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd yeah. say yeah. it was great. It Last was great. night, I I was at uh, CBS where we shot all in the family and all this stuff, and they had a uh, special for Dick Van Dyke, who's 98. And uh, I opened the thing and introduced it and talked about how 
the first pilot of the Van Dyke show yeah. was my dad did it. He started and it was called Head of the Family and it didn't sell. And Sheldon Leonard, who was producing the, the show, said the script is great. We just need to find a better you. that's where he entered dick van dyke and i I tell that story i told that story at the beginning you know it's funny i've seen the footage of the original dick van dyke show which didn't have dick van dyke i've seen the footage of your dad in that role and it looks insane yeah because it's like if someone showed you casablanca but instead of uh, humphrey bogart yeah you know edwin yeah exactly (laughs) going doesn't that sound like a sinatra song he never recorded we just need to find a better you yes (laughs) a better you (laughs) so uh he was was he encouraged he was encouraging of you being in comedy was he worried for he, you? He didn't say anything. <laughs> yeah. He never said yes or no. And so I never knew. I mean, I didn't know. It wasn't until I was like 19 and I directed a production of No Exit, of all things. It was John Paul Sartre, Richard Dreyfus was in it. And, couple, and that was the first time I ever got anything from my dad where he came backstage and he says, that was good. No bullshit. And he looked me in the eye and said that. So the only time he ever gave me any kind of encouragement. And I went to visit him at the house, had his house then the next day. And he said, uh, I'm not worried about you. You're going to be okay, whatever you want to do. But that was, I was already 19. I, I saw something. I mentioned this to you once and I feel like I failed because I can't find it. But s- somewhere I saw footage because briefly you were part of a, a doubles act. You were, you were yeah, partnered me. with Joey Bishop's son. Yeah, Larry Bishop. Larry yeah. Bishop. And someone with like a Super 8 camera, right after you've done a show, maybe it's 1968, 69, takes you out onto a fire escape and interviews both of you. Wow. And they're talking to both of you about you having famous dads. Yeah. I saw this thing and I thought, well, surely you've seen this. And then you said you've never seen it. I've never seen it. And Larry and I- I'll find it. Larry and I opened at the Hungry Eye for uh, Carmen McRae. And we were booked into all those nightclubs, the ones, you know, the Rooster Tail in Detroit, Mr. Kelly's in Chicago, Paul's Mall, the Bitter End. We were booked into everyone. And after that run, he said, I, I, I can't do this Now, anymore. by the way, before that in high school, I had an yeah, act with Larry. Yeah. yeah. And uh, this is funny. Al and Larry, we were in high school. And uh, there was no such thing as an improv or any place. A guy on Cahuenga oh, yeah. named Laird Brooks Schmidt. He looked like Ernie Kovacs. Mm-hmm. He opened his house. He called it Laird's Lair. So you <laughs> that could... Was, that was you, the thing. It was a... But that's wait, not but, a pedophile. No. <laughs> No, here, here was the rule. Creeps right now all over America are hearing this going, that's it! <laughs> it's here, a comedy club! Here was the rule. You could perform there if you brought the audience. So Larry and I had to bring our friends from high school who heard the same bits at lunch. This time they had to pay $5 and sit in a guy's house. It's in the living room. Yeah, the and, living room. It's the same thing, and they're looking at us like, oh, okay, but... What is this? This was lunch. And, you know, well, it's it's a club. And it was a guy's house. First thing I've ever seen in this city that even got strangers together at a person's house. And what? how long did that guy's thing last? Uh, Till he came. (laughs) 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 
He had a very strange proclivity. Very strange proclivity. Comedy got him off. Yeah. That was uh, that, that was Robert Redford hitting the lights in the natural. Yeah. He's slowly Albert's going around the bases. The music's playing. All is coming down. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll be right back. Valvoline Instant Oil Change is the quick, easy, trusted place for your next oil change. Valvoline's convenient, no appointment needed. You can even stay in your car while they do the work. You don't have to sit in some waiting room, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Their friendly, certified technicians have over 270 hours of training, and they get you in and out fast while performing a thorough, free 18-point maintenance check with your oil change. We got someone here who just experienced this, our own Aaron Blair. Blair, well, how was it? It was awesome. I took my Jeep uh, jock jams in and got a sweet oil change, and uh, and I actually brought a book because I thought it would take a while, and uh, they had me in and out in like 15 minutes. It was awesome. Well, also, you should point out, you can't read. I can't, So, but I wanted people to <laughs> you, think I could. Yeah, but I mean, you know. uh, come on. Yeah, maybe somebody hot is there, and they're like, literate. oh, what are you reading? I'm like, oh, and then, then you know, now I've, I'm, I got a date. Yeah, yeah I don't but, think that's, uh, that's not how people meet each other. Didn't, didn't have time for that. Yeah, so if you see Blade driving around in his beautifully oiled jock jams, <laughs> give him the old thumbs up, or throw a tangerine at him. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Valvoline, they're doing it right. Visit valvoline.com slash Conan for an exclusive offer towards your next oil change. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all sometimes have issues or things we need to talk about, get off our chest. I have that all the time, don't you, Sona? I do. Yeah, and we need people to talk to. And we carry around different stressors. We carry big stressors. We carry small stressors. Uh, I was raised in a culture where you're supposed to kind of bottle it up. And I've learned over time that that's not the best thing to do. If you do let things rattle around in there for a while without talking it out, it can affect your life very negatively. Well, therapy is a safe space where you can get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. BetterHelp's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. A lot of people have a barrier towards getting therapy because they think, well, I don't know. I've got to find the person, talk to them. What if I? it's not a good match? I Then it's awkward. None of that. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Conan today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Conan. You know what I will say has had a big effect on me as a, as a, as a human being is the message behind Defending Your Life the movie about fear. People who move on to a higher plane are the ones that were less afraid in their life. I think about that a lot. It's very profound and probably has influenced me more. Are you than... frightened? Are you? Oh, do you have, do you have any fears have that you terrible. need to overcome? <laughs> yeah, I, many, many fears. Uh, and I just, I, 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 that movie spoke to me. It's hilarious. 
And, you know, and I think because I haven't gotten over mine, but I see facing that tribunal and saying, but I made the movie. Yeah. (laughs) Doesn't doesn't that count for something? Come on, man. You're sitting in the same chair saying, I made, look, I did this. I mean, (laughs) let me go on. I made this. Doesn't count. But I, I don't know. That's a very that really spoke to me that yeah. taking risks, uh, doing things and we're not here long. No. And we're also it's one of the, those things we're stuck with from the original humans. You know, we're, we're stuck with a lot of things we don't need. And that's one of those primordial feelings that you needed in, in a world we don't live in. The tiger or the yes, lion. And, yeah. and the things that you would be afraid of, and especially in a world where the sky looks like uh, 800 gods. I mean, everything is scary. You don't know anything. So I don't think that, you know, we've adapted very well to what there is to be afraid of and what there isn't. Not that there isn't shit to be afraid of, but sometimes you feel it all the time and it's not necessary all the time. Uh, I heard a fact once that I, that the human mind is fascinated by the most recent and interesting way to die and puts that right at the top of the list. Hmm. So if when COVID came along, everyone said, oh my God, it's COVID. If I can avoid COVID, I'll be fine. Suddenly everything else, colon cancer, lung cancer, heart attacks, car accidents, falling, disappeared yeah. we are we love to move what's the latest thing to the top of the list yeah, yeah. you know after 9-11 it was if i can get on a plane and land safely yeah. i'll be okay right right and that's our tendency and yeah, it goes back it's, millions it's, of years but i think we have local. news for people they're gonna die at some point yeah. of something yeah that's but, the but news. It's, That's it's, the news. It's bullet. always trying to localize it to to be able yes. to understand yeah. it. That's yeah. why, because you know, there's too many things to think about otherwise. Well, this gets to. Uh, I had a conversation uh, with with Albert once, and uh, at the time, I was saying to Albert, "I've done some stuff I really like that really makes me laugh, and I've worked with some really brilliant people, and I've got this body of work that I'm I'm proud of, but it's television." I said, "You've." and this is both of you, you've made movies. And I was saying that those last, what I've done is I said, I'm in the disposable, I'll never forget. I said, I'm in the disposable pen business. I think I've made a lot of good big pens. They were used and they'd been tossed out, but you've made movies, which I put on this whole other level. And Albert with great conviction was saying, you don't understand. None of it matters. And I, I had this fight 30 years ago with Rob, because I I remember it, maybe 20 years ago, Rob at the time was saying that the great movie stars of the, when movie stars were the Cary Grants, the Clark, they will always be remembered. And I said, nobody will always be remembered. No, no nobody in the movies, maybe Hitler, maybe Einstein, maybe Elvis Presley, but that's about it. Yeah. You know, it's just. Yeah, but the thing is, it you did it, things, whatever, disposable, they go the you made people laugh yeah, and people it, people will come up to you and say that made me, that made me laugh so you yeah. made somebody feel good it's well you know what, that's all it is you know it's what was all the same. i took yeah. what albert said as it calmed me it made me feel better now most people now it's total coincidence shortly after that i did some interview i think with someone at the new york times and they were telling me you know what do you think about your legacy whatever and i said it doesn't matter and then i quoted you know, Albert, and I said, you know, Albert Brooks told me none of this matters. And I said it as the good news. The good yeah, news yeah. is I think I've had good intent. I've tried, I keep trying, and then I'm gone. And 
But you it move ma- on, and it, but but the thing that was fascinating about it was that so briefly. Conan and Albert were trending as goth, <laughs> that we were goth. And I was yeah. like, well, no, we're not. This isn't, I don't think of this as a doomsday no. thing. It made because me, it, it, does, me, it matters at the time. At that moment, that's yeah. All, at that moment, that's it matters. anything matters, right? It's just a minute. It's, you know, it's, 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 that's what it is. I saw, I got to ask to write a thing uh, about Johnny Carson once. So I did this research and I read a 1980 profile in Rolling Stone magazine of Johnny Carson. And in it, Johnny's moaning and bitching about how all the big stars are gone. He said, there are no big stars anymore. He said, we've, you know, and he's talking about, you know, Groucho's gone. Bogart. Bogart's he, gone. And, people you know, loved. all the people, they're all gone. And who's left? There's nobody. And I'm thinking, what do you, I mean, everyone thinks, yeah. everybody's perspective. And my perspective was, well, I came along in 93. But boy, what if I could have talked to Jimmy Cagney? All that, well, no, don't be stupid. Yeah, yeah. There are so many people now that come up to me and say, oh my God, you got to talk to all these people for almost 30 years who are gone now, who were giants. And I yeah. think at the time, that's not how I thought about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I knew- But it was, you know something, yeah. oddly enough, there are no stars anymore. Well, that's not true. No. That's not the true. The only true, wait a minute. Margot Robbie is a, a star. No, but wait a minute, wait a no minute. No reason Bobby Tom Cruise, with Tom Cruise is a star. Right. There's no question about it. Tom Cruise is a star. Right. But the way in which we thought of stars, they're not people that carry pictures that you go to see because that person is in the movie. You'd go because that person. Right now, you got Taylor Swift mm-hmm. in you know music and Tom Cruise. Who who else would you? I have to go. Well, his to the last movie mission theater. didn't do that well. We weren't so happy with it. I'm just being the guy from Paramount. <laughs> <laughs> Use someone else, please, because. These numbers are devastating. <laughs> no, I mean, what, I, I'm telling you, when you see, when you see Barbie as the example of a modern movie star, yeah, but because Barbie I, was I the star. But no, but she's she, great. Don't get me wrong. Nah, I love Margot Robbie. I'm telling Robbie. you, I, I think another person in that the movie would not have been the same. You mean Ruth Buzzy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From there Westerly, are, Rhode Island, Ruth Buzzy. Don't ask me why I know that. It's different, but but those guys, the Humphrey Bogarts, they made eleven movies an hour. You know, they were just making them. Yeah, it wasn't even about. They made so many movies that that's why you went to see them. It wasn't out of the blue. Casablanca came and everybody right. went. It was just the eighteenth movie he made and that, that was year. Their eleventh choice. Yeah, I think. that was, it was okay. We'll get tele- Bogart. It's called television. Yeah, that's what they did. Yeah, but there but, was a that period that we were, you know, brought into. There were people. They said he'll open a picture. You get this person or that person, and they will open the picture. Meaning you'll get a f- good first weekend. And there was a list of people. And now, what opens a picture is, you know, action superheroes. That opens a picture, but the star itself doesn't open. Yeah, the we may we may have crossed into a thing where the actual picture opens the picture. Yeah. I mean, the Marvel world is a little bit different than what but that's fraying what, now. That's that they're having well, we trouble. Don't know, but, yeah, they're starting. Well, they're yeah. having they're struggling. Yeah, they're, they're struggling. struggling. Yeah, and, yeah uh, they're struggling. I I read a treatment for Uncle Marvel that was the ability to kvetch, kvetch, and what was the story? Speed. What was the story for Uncle Marvel? <laughs> like he said, it was a reluctant guy. <laughs> I don't know 
if this, I should. This don't even fit anymore. <laughs> Uncle, Uncle How Marvel. do you breathe in this fucking thing? Uh, hey, we, got, we got the testing back from Uncle Marvin. <laughs> She's hot. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> um, it has to be satisfying to both of you that nothing ages like uh, comedy and you've both done all this work that that, you know, if I talk to an 18 year old comedy nerd, they will look at your stuff and say, this is uh, this is genius. This is brilliant. This is terrific. Uh, that has got to be a good feeling. Yeah. Even you have to feel good. Well, I, you're just telling me this now. I don't know who you talk to. <laughs> they're not smart people. Yeah. They're, they're you idiots. Call me once in a while. <laughs> I love that this is a little tidbit I think I can share, which is you had me over to your house, uh, Rob, to watch the documentary. Right. And then you confided in me as the lights were going down. Albert may come by if people, if this goes over well. Yeah, this, yeah. If no, this, Albert. If this goes would... over well. And I got the sense that he was circling the neighborhood in a car like a shark, <laughs> but he wanted to hear how it went over. And then the lights came up. And the first thing I said to you is, I think you can call Albert. Yeah. And you came yeah. over, I which wasn't was sweet. I was circling. I don't live far. And I. I... <laughs> <laughs> but you were nervous. You, you were on the roof. The truth is, I, there were six other screenings, and I was driving like mad that night, <laughs> circling <laughs> eighteen houses. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, this has been an absolute thrill, delight. Uh, it checks every single box. I think I'm getting out of the business, gentlemen, <laughs> which was your aim. I this think when you fun. came here. This is fun. Let me make sure I mention too, because I want to. I, I I did say I want to mention that you have a uh, a podcast. Yes, out, and uh, yes. we have many people listening to this. So let's get the word out on yours. Yeah, no, it's 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 uh, who killed JFK. Mm -hmm. uh, you can get it anywhere you get your podcast, and it's basically commemorates the 60th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination. And there's 10 episodes. They drop every Wednesday, and I think if you listen to all. 10, you will get 60 years of information will be put in a place that you can kind of understand what happened on that day. And by Dallas. the way, like me, he has assembled some hysterical bits from JFK. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have one. People what, don't know. What that was JFK the one did a lot the of good The grassy knoll. What was that one? <laughs> <laughs> I had a I had a bit I was and nowhere to do it I was working on and that's that if Walter Cronkite were working today mm -hmm. and this happened yeah, let me uh, do thirty seconds of it <clears throat> and two ten a.m. it's official John F Kennedy assassinated in Dallas let's go to our panel at the end from the Lincoln Motor Company, <laughs> Jack Ryan, <clears throat> uh, well-known gardener, uh, Javier Martinez <laughs> from Winchester, Paul Allen. Let me start at the end with the Lincoln. Why? It was 74 degrees. Is that when you suggest the top should be down? <laughs> well, Walter, at Lincoln, we don't really make the rules, but we say to the customer, we above 80. So it was too cold. It shouldn't have been down. Paul. 
How far can the Winchester... Well, first, let me ask Javier. Talk to me about the grassy knoll. <laughs> How often is that mowed? <laughs> yeah, it's a 24-hour news site. It doesn't have that, yeah. that same impact. Yeah. yeah. This is too probably too dark, but I've had a thought in my mind, which, which is what if Zapruder had gone on to make other films? Oh, <laughs> and oh my God. That was a comedy bit idea I had, and he, he comes out with other films, and he's... They don't, they're not, they don't have anything to do with that. And the critics are killing him because it doesn't have the impact of his yeah, first film. Yeah. And then he's enraged. Like, why am I, why am I constantly being judged on yeah. my first film? I'm being typecast. I'm being, not, I'm, I'm pigeonholed But then here. he starts, as he's, his films sell less and less, he yeah. starts going back to, there is a motorcade. <laughs> even though it doesn't fit the story at all. That's a bit that I've had that I've been afraid to talk about out loud. Well, Christmas Vacation 5 from <laughs> Abraham Zapruder. <laughs> like, you know, it's lacking the impact of the um, right. gentleman. Uh, God bless you both. Thank and you. And that's a Christian God. Yeah. Um, you know, Even though today's, a, you know, Tonica. I know, but it's my studio. So uh, <laughs> have a happy Catholic Christmas, both of you, uh, filled with Jesus. Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one and being with the Father. Sold. <laughs> Thank you, fellas. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Conan O'Brien needs a friend. With Conan O'Brien, Sonam Obsessian, and Matt Gorley. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Nick Leal, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Take it away, Jimmy. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. Engineering by Eduardo Perez. Additional production support by Mars Melnick. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review read on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 669-587-2847 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.